From the studio in Sun City, Arizona Boomer Radio presents Wealth DNA with Ron the Ronald Naraki. Wealth DNA gives you insights and methods for increasing your net worth. Ron's experience dealing with local and international markets give him insights that can be valuable to any investor. Now here's the host of the show, Ron Naraki. Hello and welcome to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. We're honored that you're joining us today, especially since our listeners and I'd say 47 and a half of the United States who are with us for the live show have changed their clock since our last show. So we invite you to uh, congratulate them for making it at the right time despite the clock changes uh, since our last show. Now, Arizona is, uh, as you hopefully know, one of two and a half states that we don't change our clocks for daylight savings time. So when you change your clocks and our show time doesn't, that means the show is one hour earlier in the fall or one hour later in the spring. So whether you're in Arizona where I am and you're sipping a cup of coffee or, in my case, hot tea this morning because of a um, coming-on sore throat, and I apologize if my voice sounds a little scratchy, but fortunately I'll have a guest to do more of the talking, and that way it can rest. The U.S. Eastern Time Zone which, uh, is probably thinking about lunch versus me sipping coffee. In Europe, you're ending your work day. If you're somewhere in between or you're listening to the archive of the show, I'll, I'll be know you'll be glad you joined us for this hour. Now, if you listen to the archive in 2020 or later, you'll be experiencing the effects of what our guest will be sharing with us today. Now, incidentally, our guest will be joining us a few minutes later than usual due to an appointment, so I'll cover some of the information about upcoming shows uh, before he joins us. And we do have one of his uh, colleagues uh, on board to uh, to step in if indeed he can't join us. Now, on the Wealth DNA Radio Show, we focus on the fundamentals of investing and providing great ideas for building and protecting your wealth. Today, we'll focus on getting to better know a subgroup of our listeners, a group who will have an ever-increasing influence on the financial markets for the next 30 or 40 years or more. I'm referring to the Millennials who in 30 to 40 years will be the age of baby boomers today. Our guest has analyzed this group and specifically how they're inclined to invest, how that differs from prior generations and the factors that cause those differences. We'll also touch on crowdfunding since our guest is co-founder of a crowdfunding platform. We're dis- uh, we've uh, discussed cloud for- uh, I'll try that again, crowd funding on several uh, prior shows. And boy, I, I, I just realized that's a little confusing with the cloud and the crowd. Um, I guess that's the first time I've made the mistake and realized it. Now, including our show one month ago. So if you're already not up to speed or you're not already up to speed, sounds better, uh, with what crowdfunding is, be sure to listen to our prior shows on that topic. Put it on your must-do list for the next few weeks since we'll continue that theme on our next show as well. And I'm hearing some thumping noise there in the back. I don't know if that's uh, our guest coming on board or just some random noises. So we'll have to uh, to check on that. I like to start each show by sharing a quote to set the tone for the show's topic. Now, admittedly, finding a quote on a generation that's just starting to evolve isn't easy, but I found one that really helps set this tone for the show. Are you ready? I grew up in a physical world, and I speak English. The next generation is growing up in a digital world, and they speak social. Let me repeat that. I grew up in a physical world, and I speak English. 
the next generation is growing up in a digital world and they speak social. That quote is from Angela Arendt. Now, if you're not sure who Miss Arendt is, she was recently the CEO of Burberry for uh, eight years and last year joined Apple to run its uh, retail and online stores. So I think her track record shows she's a reliable source who understands millennials. Apple certainly has been wildly successful at getting millennials hooked on their technology, their devices, and content. Now, today is Monday, November 9th, uh, 2015. It is 9.04 in uh, Arizona and 11.04 a.m. on the U.S. Eastern Coast. It's the only day I ever like it, so we'll do everything possible to make it a great one. You're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. The show airs every second and fourth Monday at 9 a.m. in Arizona. If you didn't receive a num- uh, reminder of the show, just connect with us on Twitter or Facebook where we post reminders. Just connect with The Ronald, all one word. And uh, I think most millennials should be able to do that with their eyes closed. Most of the baby boomers would have a little more trouble with that, including me. We'd like to thank our sponsor today, BI Solutions Corp., a residential real estate fund in the Phoenix, Scottsdale area, for helping us put together and share this information with you. Now, I certainly hope you can join us each time we air, but if you miss a show like the ones on crowdfunding I've mentioned, you can find them in the archive. Just go to www.wealthdna.us where we list each of the shows upcoming and archived. And we will be continuing this theme of crowdfunding Uh, In our next show as well, our guest will be Bill Clark, CEO of MicroVentures. Now, we welcome your comments and questions during the show. I recommend using the chat window below the radio player, and, of course, that would be helpful if I paid attention to it once in a while. There we go. All right. Uh, Good. All right. So that's helpful, Pete. Thank you. And... um, as I mentioned, there is a chat window below the radio player, and I know I'm finally getting to look at it. The call-in number is also 917-388-4162. It's also shown at the top of the internet screen, since I'm sure you couldn't catch it that quickly. Since our last show, the U.S. equity markets have been hovering just below their record highs. Today, the U.S. market's off to a negative start. Asia was mixed with Hang Seng down, but others up pretty sharply. Europe, which is well, will be closing shortly, not yet closed, is down, and Brazil is down as well. It sounds like a Monday. Our guest today to discuss millennials' investing habits is Philip Rick. Let's going to try that. Rakison, excuse me for the for the stutter here. A litigation attorney, senior associate of Pagel Davis and Hill. He's also CEO and co-founder of Energy Funders, an online platform that directly connects investors to small and microcap oil and gas projects across the U.S. So he's obviously both a lawyer and an entrepreneur. And has uh, Philip uh, joined us, uh, Pete? It sounds like he has. Yes, I'm here. Thank you so much for uh, having us on the program. Well, Welcome, uh, Philip, and thank you for joining us today, and glad you could make it out of court. I understand you were in court, you had an appointment there, and I assume it wasn't to fight a traffic ticket that you got. That's that's correct. It's just part of my uh, line of work that I do every day. That's right. We've got uh, two different two different hats. but And, and just as, as you were arriving, I gave a brief overview of your background. How do you introduce yourself at a cocktail party? Uh, as actually, you you did a pretty good job um, as both an attorney and an entrepreneur. Um, although you know uh, the within the legal profession, a lot of attorneys do become entrepreneurs. Um, so I, I wear I wear two hats, but they cross over because what we're doing is operating in a heavily regulated environment, 
where a lot of new laws are being passed and opening new opportunities. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, uh, I understand there's an update on the the, um, the laws just as of Friday. Now, I'm not fully up to speed, and I don't know if we'll have time to cover that, but uh sounds like some more changes happening, and obviously being a lawyer uh, does help stay in touch with that. But you, actually, an interesting point that I hadn't thought of uh, earlier, there are a number of very, very successful CEOs who are former lawyers. I'm not sure lawyers make as good uh, politicians, but that's a whole other story we won't get into. Absolutely. But uh, glad, <laughs> glad you could join us. Now, let's start by making sure all of our listeners are familiar with what we call the various generations. The only one that seems kind of very clearly defined is the baby boom generation, and those are people born between 1946 and 1964, correct? Yes, that's that's right. Now, before that group, uh, Tom Brokaw, uh, the journalist, had called them the greatest generation. Is there some sort of official designation for that generation uh, who's uh, older and preceded the uh, baby boomers? Well, that, that's how I know them as well, uh, and I, I think that uh, that, okay. that fits them, and they like it, <laughs> so we could just stick well, with that. Well, I, I would think so. Yeah, no, I think he, he became somewhat uh, famous, uh, not just because he was a journalist already, but I think that, that phrase probably endeared him to a whole bunch of of uh, folks in, in, the, in that generation. Now, the generation that followed the baby boomers is actually referred to as Generation X. Uh, do you know if there are some official birth years for them? Yes, I think it's uh, it's about 1964 to about, and here's where it gets a little fuzzy, about 1978 to 1980. So somewhere okay. within that endpoint. Okay, let's call it 1980. That sounds like a pretty good good round number to try to remember. And um, I know they don't feel like their generation's a smaller group than most of the others, uh, but they really are. Then following Generation Synax, we have a group we'll be talking about today who initially almost always was referred to as Generation Y uh, or Gen Y, but we now seem to be calling them the Millennial Generation. Uh, why is that switch in names? I think it's because Generation Y was just a uh, just nomenclature that followed the Generation X nomenclature, you know, mm-hmm. X, Y, then you'd have a Z, but then they've, they've come to be defined by the fact that they've come of age uh, in the new millennium starting around 2000 because uh, 2000 is the last year when they were born or the oldest members mm-hmm. were 18 or 19. And so they've grown up with the Internet, so to speak, and that perfectly encapsulates how they're different than the prior generations. Okay, so if we said they were from 1980-ish, uh, we'll, we'll use that as a cutoff point, of, or let's call it 81 up through uh, 2000. That's our millennial generation. So they, okay, so they became of age in the new millennium. Makes makes a lot of sense, and uh, but some people may still use Generation Y. So just make sure our listeners realize we're talking about the same group. Generation Y or uh, Millennials, that is the group we'll be talking about. Now, very importantly, before we dig into specifics, would you share with our listeners how they'd contact you, learn more about Paggle, Davis, and Hill, about you, about energy funders? What are some some good uh, websites and contacts? Sure. So Energy Funders is www.energyfunders.com, where if you type in energy funders, all one word, in any search engine, you'll get us. Paggle, Davis, and Hill is uh, pdhlaw.com. And they practice a, a full-service business boutique firm based in Houston, operating nationwide. So if they type in uh, uh, the name of the firm, they'll, they'll get the firm's website as well. 
Okay, and you were a litigation attorney there, a senior associate, uh, as, as I mentioned. So, uh, very, uh, very good. So, you actually wear both hats. Where, where do you spend more of your time? Is it kind of split between them, or is kind of the uh, the, the law firm the day job when, when people expect lawyers to be around, and then the other stuff you have to do uh, at, at kind of the unusual hours? It's, uh, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's really two full time jobs. <laughs> so, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's a normal uh, 40 to 60 hour work week as a, as a senior associate uh, practicing uh, litigation and outside general uh, counsel work. And then it's another 40 hours with interview funders. Um, and uh, actually, you know, they, they cross-pollinate in a certain way. I've, I've met some fantastic mm-hmm. clients that I've been able to serve in a more traditional legal context through my work with energy funders. Hmm. Okay. All right. So interesting. Uh, one will uh, ultimately feed the other, and probably the other way around as well. Now, since you're a lawyer, I- I'm curious. What got you interested in millennials and specifically how they invest? I think that millennials are interested in, in uh, the disintermediation that's going on, and for that's that's definitely a ten dollar word, and that means yep. the cutting cutting out the traditional layers of uh, of, of middlemen. You know, if you wanted to. Uh, purchase a stock before the days of E-Trade and online brokerages, you would need to call up your stockbroker. Well, E-Trade and Scott Trade and, and it's and those like it disintermediated the brokerage market by allowing the consumer to get onto E-Trade and make that trade directly through the platform. Um, similarly, uh, that is what uh, millennials are doing now. That uh, is has been brought to a new level now. You've got uh, apps that allow direct uh, stock transactions with no fees. Uh, they are becoming very interested in, in a certain type of crowdfunding called equity crowdfunding, where they are investing um, using crowdfunding methods online without all the middlemen in order to uh, receive a return. Uh, and they are basically using technology in ways that, that we really haven't seen before to invest. Okay. Now, I guess I should ask, are you officially a millennial or a Gen X? I, I'm officially a millennial. I'm one of the oldest millennials out there because I was born okay. in 81. So uh, okay. <laughs> I guess I'm sort of the vanguard of the generation. There you go. Oh, I like that. I like that term. Not not bad at all. Now, since our show is produced by the Boomer and the Babe Network, uh, I'll assume that the largest group of our listeners are baby boomers. So let's use them as a base case and, and, and briefly talk about how they invest. Now, since I am one of that group, I guess I can start out by saying we were the last generation uh, to, to have to do, we had to do for that matter, uh, was uh, what you talked about. We had to place our stock, bond, and mutual fund orders through a broker via telephone, and the greatest generation had to do this exact same thing. And by the way, back... Um, you know, when I when I started investing, the typical fees were twenty five to fifty dollars per transaction. Of course, depending on how many shares and, and and the dollar value of the share. So these were not insignificant transaction costs. Uh, what other characteristics come to mind uh, when you uh, contrast millennials to to the baby boomers? What else uh, can we can we say was true of baby boomers or is true of baby boomers? They're not gone. Well, I, I think that some of the distinguishing uh, factors is that they. Uh, they're more interested in face-to-face meetings. Um, whether or not a face-to-face mm-hmm. meeting is, is necessary in terms of a, in terms of information, uh, they they want that. They want to be able to communicate, uh, you know, in person uh, with whoever they're doing business with. Look them in the eye. Um, I think it's important as well. But you know, as a as an older millennial, 
I recognize that um, you know, sometimes it's just not possible, uh, and, and I can receive enough information and still be comfortable with uh, making decisions based on information. Um, also, baby boomers tend to uh, uh, make uh, more considered uh, decisions and, and have a little bit longer time horizons when making those decisions. A lot of which is also a function that they're they're usually uh, they're now you know they're they're sort of at the, the the twilight of their career, and so they might not necessarily uh, have to make decisions in a quick time frame. They're looking a little bit mm-hmm. they're still looking more long term because they're uh, you know they're at the peak of their earning potential. They're retiring. They have many good years uh, ahead of them, and, and they want their uh, money to last. Yeah, and they don't have that time to kind of catch up if something goes wrong. They can't go and, and, and you know get get a higher paying job uh, when they're uh, sixty, sixty five, or seventy to to make up for uh, for a major loss or something like that. Okay, so a little bit of conservatism. Um, now, another thing on the baby boomers, one of the negative characteristics that uh, I, I at least associate with baby boomers, maybe maybe uh, incorrectly, and again, I am one, so I guess I'm, I'm criticizing myself to some extent. Uh, our parents were generally frugal, but the uh, boomers assumed that company pensions would always be around. I mean, they've been around for all these generations, and we have them now when we get started when we start at work. Uh, so early in the careers, we we probably spent too much and saved too little. I and mean, I guess I had I would think that had some influence on millennials, which, uh, by the way, includes my kids as well. You know, um, I think millennials have have uh, grown up watching their parents uh, in, in, in different states of uh, you know financial readiness, um, and uh, they're certainly at least in, in the days of, of when the baby boomers were, were uh, starting their careers, uh, there was the notion of mm-hmm. lifetime employment. There was the notion that your employer uh, entered into a, a contract with you, and that contract consisted of uh, make ensuring that uh, you would be rewarded for your many years of loyalty um, by, uh, you know, either a pension plan or having, you know, sufficient assets to retire. Um, we millennials have witnessed the breaking of that contract for better or for worse. You know, um, for for the better, it, it makes us realize we have to be more self-reliant and we have to be uh, <clears throat> more deterministic about our own retirement prospects. But, you know, on the downside, it makes it all more difficult. On top of everything that, that we have to handle on a daily basis, family and our lives, uh, we also have to uh, uh, take full responsibility for our retirement. There is no safety net, at least in our minds. Um, and so uh, we have we have seen our parents deal with that. And, and personally, you know, I, 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 know, uh, I know lots of uh, men and women who are uh, baby boomers and well, some of the older baby boomers and they have absolutely no plans to retire, and it's because they love working. But at the same time, do they, in their heart of hearts, do they wish that they they really could retire or right. greatly reduce their hours? I just don't think they can because they don't have that retirement. All right, so it's it's, it's somewhat, uh, you know, I'd like to continue working because I enjoy it, but it, quite frankly, um, I may not have a choice, and I've convinced myself that I still like doing it. Um Interesting point, uh, and, I, and I can Im- imagine that does influence them, whether it was through spoken word or just seeing their example, that uh, millennials have realized that that uh, pension that they started out with for five years went away, uh, that their, their parents' you know pension went away and things changed. Uh, their their uh, parents went through some, some struggles and changes that, uh, that would affect them. But uh, anyway, before we... Uh, 
continue, let me remind our listeners you're tuned to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Rod Naraki. I look forward to you joining us every second and fourth Monday. Now, if you missed some of the prior shows, like the ones on crowdfunding I mentioned earlier, or if you want to re-listen, we maintain an archive of shows on wealthdna.us. If you'd like to get a reminder, email of the... Um, let me try. How about email reminder? That didn't sound good. Is that right? Email reminder sounds better of the show. Send an email to me, ron at wealthdna.us. We'll keep you posted about those future shows and events. Now, if you follow the Ronald, all one word, no spaces on Twitter or Facebook, you'll also stay posted. And again, something probably millennials are more likely to do than to send an email. During the radio show, we welcome you, our listeners, to ask questions. Easiest to start a chat in the uh, little chat window below the radio player. And that is up and running. The other is you can call in 917-388-4162, which is also shown at the top of the screen. Our topic today is Millennials Investing Habits, which we're discussing with Philip Rekison. With, and I'm going to get him to repronounce that just in case I'm screwing oh, it up sure. a little bit. It, <laughs> a it's litigation Rackison. attorney with Rackison. Thank you. I've got Rackison, to get that I appreciate accent. it. Thank you. No, no, that's uh, so. Philip Rackison, he's a litigation attorney with Pagel, Davis, and Hill, as well as CEO and co-founder of Energy Funders, an online platform that directly connects investors to small and micro-cap oil and gas projects across the U.S. Now, Philip, let's do your name one more time, just in case I screwed it up earlier in the show as well. Rackison, correct? Rackison, you got it. Wow. Okay. I just I just got to get that accent right, and I was uh, I was misled as to how it was pronounced. So my my apologies in getting that. I like to uh, to get that. But it's usually one of the things we'd get a chance to do. Uh, you'd coach me before we'd start the show, but unfortunately, uh, you were hanging around in court instead. You preferred to be in court than on our show. I I, I understand. I'm not going to take it personally though. But um, all right, back to back to where we were. Uh, clearly, not all millennials are created equal. What are the various types of millennials you see when it comes to investing? Well, I, I think you have a few different types. Uh, you you have okay. uh, you know perhaps let's say the Mark Zuckerberg type. They're very successful for their age. Um, they have accomplished a lot and they have a lot of cash. Um, and they're they're looking for ways to invest it. Um, they're they're certainly comfortable making online investments. Um, and they probably made a lot of their money uh, with an online business or something of that fashion. And you've got uh, millennials who are uh, they're making their income through uh, through their job. Uh, they they have not achieved that level of success yet, um, and they're going to be more the uh, the retail consumer. Uh, and then you know you have millennials who um, you know they're they, they have to be very careful with their investment decisions because they might be laboring under a lot of uh, a lot of student loan debt. Um, and so they're going to be uh, they're going to have much smaller amounts to invest than than the other two. Okay, but uh, one of the things I guess you alluded to is they they are a little bit more uh, versed on the online stuff, the whole uh, age of the internet, which uh, really came came of age, I guess, when they did. That's not a bad way to look at it. Uh, one curiosity, you mentioned that there are even apps that allow people to do stock trades without a without a commission. Tell us a little bit about that because I, that's that's new to me and and that kind of does change the game plan especially if somebody's willing to uh, sit there and do their trades by phone versus I mean the phone in a, in, a, in the new style of electronically as opposed to making a phone call um you know how did, how does that how does that come about is it the companies that are normally uh, like a, a Schwab or a, a Scott Trade or somebody else that then has these apps and somehow manages to uh, to give them free trades by using the app what's uh, you know what's the game plan behind that 
Well, there, there's a company called Robinhood, and they have a, they have a, a stock trading app that's viral, and their mission is to uh, make you know, a, a essentially trading stocks um, and, and buying and selling them you know, as easy as checking a sports score. Um, and they charge no commissions. Um, now, what I haven't investigated is whether they're subsidizing commissions, um, right, which they right. could be doing, or whether they have uh, they have actually uh, you know, formed some new type of, of structure that that lowers the cost so much that they can make up for it with some other source of revenue. Um, but but it's really interesting. They're basically uh, their vision is to have uh, you know millennials with this app on their phone, and they can trade stocks no matter where they are in time, and the transaction cost is zero. So why wouldn't you buy this stock and sell that one? Bill, I'm here. I don't know what happened. Oh, okay. Can, can you hear me? I hear you fine. I think we should sit sit tight. Okay. Yes. You back on? Am I? Was I? Did I drop off? Did the whole line drop or did our guest drop? I couldn't. Uh, everything kind of went silent, and I thought initially it was my phone. <laughs> right. And I realized you know, it's still connected. Wow. Okay. Then that was strange. And somehow my, I dropped off. I don't know if Pete had some technical problems. But the good news is you're back on. Wow. Okay, Philip. Thank you for uh, for correcting me. Sorry for the the gap there. Oh no problem um, at all. Let's. Let's get back to uh, the third group you mentioned, which is the large, uh, some uh, unfortunately large subgroup of, of uh, millennials who are struggling with student loans, car payments, and they're really not able to, to, to save much and invest much. Uh, I want to put my preacher's collar on for just a second and remind our listeners about the safest and high, highest yielding investment. And if they're not familiar with this, if they haven't listened to prior shows, write this down. This is one of those pearls of wisdom. This is the best investment you can ever make, and it should be the first one you make each month, and that's to fully pay off all high-interest credit card debt. You say, oh, that's that's a yawner, that's no fun, but that is the most, uh, the highest yielding, the safest you cannot lose by paying off high-interest credit debt. But anyway, all right, back to... Uh, back to the uh, topic of millennials, not just, and obviously that credit card debt applies to everybody. Uh, one of the trends we see in the real estate world where I spend a lot of my time is that millennials saw their Gen X or their baby boomer parents lose their homes during the Great Recession, and therefore they're not anxious to become homeowners earlier in their career. Is that a factor also affecting some of their investing? Um, sure it does because, you know, it, it goes towards their um – their you know entire discretionary income. Um, I think that uh, you know a lot of them today are more concerned with the location in which they live than, than having a, mm-hmm. a house with a yard and so forth. And in order to get that, especially due to higher real estate prices, they move into 
uh, apartments that are nearby. If they have the if they have the means, they might buy a condo. Um, but that, of course, requires a totally different set of uh, you know uh, of financial wherewithal. You know, to have enough money to put down, and then to have enough uh, a good enough credit score and you know an adjusted sure. income ratio to pay for a mortgage. So um, I think they, they they might have just. I think it's just without. It's outside of a lot of their means. Okay, so some of it might be means. I think you touched on a very important point in there, which is the home ownership. Of course, is is kind of forcing you to stay in that area. And I think a lot of these folks still consider themselves somewhat mobile. They really don't know where they're going to end up. I know that's true of my own kids. They, uh, have, well, my one son has bought a house, but you know they're not sure how long they're going to be staying in that area. But they went ahead with the decisions. Turned out to be a good one. But uh, you know, other types of investments are more. Um, let's call transportable, <laughs> you know, so if I invest in a stock or I invest in a bond or I invest in um, other investments where I'm not living in it, uh, that's a little bit less uh, low. So whatever money I have, I'm a little bit less risk of, uh, hey, I move, now I lose that in part, potentially could lose on the investment. And I think that's a good point. It probably affects their other investing less than it does the, the physical home ownership because of, of that. It's a good point. Now, millennials seem to have their smartphones surgically attached. And I don't know if you're one of those, and they're very dependent on technology. Uh, is that a is that a major driver in their investing mindset and what they tend to invest in or what they've seen in the technology environment? Yeah, I'd, I'd say so because uh, they're going to they're going to be making decisions based on the information that's close at hand um, and. You know, they have seen uh, the, the the rate of change increase over time. They've seen you know unbelievable change in their lifetimes alone. You know, just you know, speaking personally, um, I, I remember getting onto the internet in uh, 1993 or 1994 for the first time. Uh, at that time, it was called the World Wide Web, and uh, right. and seeing some new possibilities. And then since then, you know, it's it's changed the entire world. That goes without saying. Uh, but the fact that you know that, that millennials have seen how the internet can drive change tends to inform some of their investment decisions, and so they might gravitate more towards uh, startups uh, and uh, technology interests uh, more so than another generation. How about some of the guys that have made really big bucks in, in this? Does that kind of uh, become a role model that they try to uh, emulate and say, hey, I want to be, and uh, now we'll pick an old-timer who's a, who's a uh, baby boomer in the same year I am, which is Bill, Bill Gates, of course, was one of the early ones, or Steve Jobs, same same uh, same era. But, you know, Elon Musk, uh, Larry Page, Sergey uh, Zuckerberg, you had touched on. I mean, they see these huge successes. I would think that they want to get involved in that arena rather than in the traditional uh, dividend bank stocks. You know they, you know in, in a way that's uh, that's a new American dream story. You know you can you go into your garage and and uh, and you you go into your garage and put an incredible time and effort and you walk out a multi-millionaire or perhaps a multi-billionaire someday. Um, and certainly it can happen. <laughs> um, but you know they uh, that's that's something that. Uh, it, it's actually interesting because it's, it's a myth that most startups are started by uh, people in their 20s. It's really more often entrepreneurs in their uh, 30s who are who who, who um, start these businesses because they have gained enough knowledge of their industry that they start to become experts. And then they ask, well, why can't things be different? I think I have a better way of doing things. And then that's when they they start their startup. Okay, I guess you're a good example of that. 
That's a, yeah, it's actually an example of uh, of all four of us. You know, uh, you know, uh, mid, Just, mid, early, early, mid thirties. Yeah, doing that. That's I thought, I thought I'd mention that since it may not be obvious to somebody that says, you know, what your birth year is and 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 what your age is. Therefore, uh, does that make millennials bigger risk takers than some of the preceding generations? What's your perception? I think so. Um, I think you know the fact that they they've seen uh, they've seen you know uh, large institutions, uh, almost timeless institutions fall uh, with the the technological changes before them. You know, New York Times. They've seen uh, corporate interests that achieve huge stock market valuations evaporate uh, through fraud. You know, they have seen uh, you know a hundred year old department stores go bankrupt. You know. Nothing is no no company is immune from the rate of change that we see today. Uh, so I think that that drives more risk taking behavior because they think, well, you know, I I can hang my hat on a hundred year old institution, but it may not be around in five years if mm-hmm. they can't make money off say print any longer. So uh, they they certainly do take more risk than, than other generations, at least that, that, you know, in this day and age. Okay, and you know it's funny because when you, you you talked about let's say people in their thirties where they they get some industry knowledge and then they look at you know is there a better way? I was just thinking of our occurrence here, technical occurrence. You know, somebody does a radio show on the traditional uh, airwaves and they're in one city and all of a sudden the towers go down or something happens at the transformers or whatever else. The mics cut out and and then you know the air air is dead for for x amount of time. And somebody came up with the idea, why don't we take that in through the Internet and therefore make it available to a much larger audience? But it looks like that's also not immune from uh, from <laughs> things going wrong, that we do have some dead air time uh, you know, during during those shows. But nonetheless, I think you're, 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 you're absolutely correct. And at the same time, something has to be at their back of the mind saying, if I do find a better way, I just might become extremely wealthy in the process. So what the heck? I'm taking a risk by staying with a big company. Why not take a risk and and start something new? Yeah, that, that's an excellent point. You know, it, your your time is the most valuable thing you have. It's the one thing you cannot buy more of. You can't do anything mm-hmm. to to gain more time. So, it, many of them make the decision. Well, I don't say many, but you know, quite a few uh, make the decision. Well, you know, I I don't want to spend my time, uh, you know, at a company that uh, is going to make money off of me when I have an idea that could change things and, and uh, you know, I want to grow and build something. And so I have met uh, people who think that way and they've left those uh, very stable jobs behind, you know, to go out on their own and, and some of them have been very successful. And then some of them continue to do two jobs. As, as as some people that happen to be on this radio show, right? Exactly. Hey, Philip, uh, information has gone from ubiquitous to absolute overload. And I assume millennials are exposed to even more of that since they're constantly watching their phones and they're tripping over the sidewalks doing it. Uh, how does that noise affect their investing? I think, uh, well, there's, there's, a, <clears throat> there's a, a large commercial campaign right now. I think it's for Invesco. And it kind of hits the nail on the head. And it, and interestingly enough, it features a uh, a man who appears to be of the baby boomer generation, and it says mm-hmm. cut through the cut through the investing noise. It's investing noise, and mm-hmm. he's he's trying to he's, he goes to the sauna, he's trying to play racquetball, and everywhere there there are these advisors who are just babbling about stocks going up and down and financial markets, and he just wants to shut it off. And you know, uh, I, I I wish I had the answer. 
um, as to as to how that that could work. I think it's that you have to pay attention to uh, uh, enough news sources, but not so many that you overload yourself. And then you have to try to draw uh, conclusions from the broad trends that you see confirmed by different information sources. So try to find the commonalities between what you see, and then you can try to make decisions about where things are going in the future. Um, but otherwise, okay. it's, it's it's probably difficult for everyone to cut through the information overload. Oh, it is. I mean, it just it is constantly, and I think noise is is, is the appropriate term. Uh, another aspect often mentioned about millennials is their social consciousness. How does that affect their investing? I mean, does that change? Do they therefore, you know, invest in stocks that, uh, for example, not uh, not the cigarette stocks uh, that have made you know actually <laughs> huge returns over the last few years, despite all the lawsuits? Uh, you know, how how do they translate their social consciousness in in their investing? Well, you know, that's that's a Really excellent point. Um, they they do have more of a social conscience than uh, um, in their investing than than possibly. Well, I wouldn't I wouldn't compare them to other generations. I think that what they're the way they're looking at it is they have they've decided that they want to impose a certain social consciousness uh, on their or, or moral standards on their investing, at least what they perceive. Um, but other mm-hmm. generations have said, um, you know, what is the level of corporate responsibility? You know, and that's, and that in and of itself is an interesting exploration. But so the millennials have actually taken some interesting steps to memorialize, in some sense, the uh, the social uh, consciousness of uh, of some of their companies that they form. For instance, Kickstarter has become a benefit corporation, which is a, a special type of. Uh, it's a, still a, a corporation. I believe it, it's formed in New York. Don't quote me on that. Um, but it, what it actually does is it memorializes um, some of the uh, social uh, benefit principles in its charter. And so when it makes a decision about how what to do with its money or where to go or how to invest in its growth, it is duty-bound to consider the social impact of its decisions. And I, I think that's very interesting. Um, but I think, you know, millennials, they want to feel good about their investments and they would not feel good about it if they thought that it was hurting the environment somehow or hurting the world, um, even even though they, they might benefit that it, it results in harm to, to others. Uh, so they are very concerned with that. Boy, so if the millennials see the uh, film, which I've mentioned uh, in a couple of the recent shows, Inside Job, where t- you know they just really show the number of people that have gone between Wall Street and Washington and politics, and and uh, literally were part of destroying the uh, economy for a very, very, very well deep and long recession. Uh, they they probably going to want to stay away from Wall Street uh, as well. But before we continue. In case you just joined us, you're listening to the Wealthania Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. If you listen to the uh, uh, earlier portion of the uh, show by getting on the archive, and if you missed prior shows, you'll find them on the archives. Where is that? WealthDNA.us. Of course, www.wealthdna.us. Today our guest is, and I'm going to try to get it right this time, Philip Rackison, a senior associate of Pagel Davis and Hill. He's co-founder and CEO of Energy Funders, and we're discussing millennials' investing habits, and he is one, so he should know. And as I said, if you want to go back and re-listen to the beginning part of the show, if you missed it, the same link you took to get here will get you to that archive. Our producers make it pretty easy for you. 
Now, Philip, I assume a lot of the factors we discussed somehow were taken into consideration when you uh, decided to invest money and time in starting up energy funders. Tell a little bit. Tell us a little bit about your rationale and that whole journey of, of putting to that, together that company. Sure. Well, you know, in a nutshell, uh, I am a crowdfunding fanatic. Uh, I was uh, back at Kickstarter projects you know, from the time that the website was first put up. Um, so I followed the crowdfunding industry, um, and I noticed um, and it was at this point, it was almost three years ago, that there were some few new equity crowdfunding sites going up. And that an equity crowdfunding is different from a Kickstarter where you are essentially donating money and hoping that you'll receive a new product or service. Um, mm-hmm. Equity crowdfunding is where you are actually investing the equity of an investment. Um, but you are pooling your money with other investors, perhaps in uh, in ways that are you're, you're making such a small investment that for the first time as an individual investor, you can actually diversify in a variety of investment opportunities instead of putting probably too much money into one opportunity. Um, I was fascinated by that, and I I wondered why nobody was doing it in oil and gas, and I, I posed the same question to a good friend of mine um, who I met in law school, and he was a, a very experienced uh, landman and oil and gas attorney, Roger Gangel, who's uh, mm-hmm. uh, also a co-founder of the company. And uh, this was you know, about three years ago, and he said, he said, that's a great question. I I think this is the structure we need, and he whipped up a business plan, and we, we hit the ground running since then. But we are we are um, that's there's the story of how it started, but we are addressing some major structural problems that have existed for a while. There is a failure in capital markets for small lucrative oil and gas projects uh, under ten million dollars, especially under five million dollars. A lot of the public is familiar with these large. Uh, you know, these huge projects, you know, a $30 billion well, you know, offshore, you know, a a large, you know, fracking project in the Marcellus Shale, you know, right. that is, those are not these projects. These are, these are shallow wells. Um, they, we're not, we're not doing shale fracking. Uh, we are, um, you know, these are all, these are all very safe projects as far as uh, environmental impact. Um, and, they are lucrative and they are operational even at $30 oil, $20 oil. That's that's one of the things we look for. But, you know, another problem is that, you know, these projects, too, they might be too large for an individual investor, but they might be too, uh, I mean, too large for an individual investor, but too small for an institutional investor. And so you have this capital market gap. Well, we make it possible for investors to pool as little as a $5,000 investment apiece in these projects. So if an investor has, say an investor has $20,000 or $25,000 they want to spread across some uh, oil and gas projects because they like the, the cash flow, they like the tax benefits, they want to cut out the middleman, they want to get right directly into the project, which is what we do, they can put that in five projects now instead of putting it all in just one. Uh, so those are some of the traditional problems we've attempted to solve with energy funders. Interesting. And I, let's, let's just step back to kind of the beginning of the show and talk about the contracts of the baby boomers. As, as I'm listening and I'm, I'm trying not to, to, to you know, uh, 
I'm not introducing my own biases, let me put it that way, but uh, I'm, I'm guessing that many baby boomers that would be listening would be saying, oh, that'll never work. You know, I'm never going to invest in something that I, you know, don't have a big corporation behind and it's not uh, SEC registered or whatever else they're thinking, uh, that that uh, small investment won't make a difference in my portfolio. It'll never work. But when we go through a lot of the things you talked about, which is, uh, they are willing to take the millennials are willing to take a risk. Secondly, they don't have a large amount, especially those struggling with some debts. Uh, that putting uh, you know fifty thousand dollars into some uh, major project isn't going to work for them, but uh, putting five or uh, ten thousand dollars might. Uh, the fact that. Uh, They've seen the uh, the traditional uh, Wall Street model break down a number of times, uh, even if they didn't see it, their parents did, and uh, uh, you know have, have have heard about it. You know, a lot of these factors say that uh, you know it seems like a model that does fit millennials, and even if some of the other prior generations aren't going to be excited about it, it sounds like it's almost suited for uh, for these young uh, technology savvy people. So it, it, we have uh, it, we, we've seen that bear out. Uh, we have um, investors, I think, of, of all different ages. Um, we certainly do have a good number of millennials. Uh, we also have a lot of baby boomers as well. Um, you know, I, I, the, the things that they all seem to gravitate to are, are the same things that, um, you know, traditional direct oil and gas investing, where you're investing directly in the project, um, th- those are the things that, uh, that, that we, you know, that we attempt to fix, and they all seem to appreciate it, no matter whether they're a baby boomer or a millennial. Um, and you know, we we make it very easy online. Um, but you know, what, what I've noticed is that certainly some of the some of the earlier investors are the early adopters. This is this is a mm-hmm. new concept, equity crowdfunding. Um, but it's growing very fast, and what it's actually doing is it's 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 subsuming all kinds of other industries. It has basically uh, eaten the lunch of angel investing, and it's eating up uh, venture capital investing. It's projected that in uh, five years, the vast majority of VC and angel investing will be done through uh, equity crowdfunding, and that's a you know, over $30 billion uh, annual industry. Um, and it's basically forming a new asset class, alternative investments uh, that you can make online. Uh, and so... I think that you know, in the long term, what seems like a um, kind of a, an idea maybe that's out there right now, or at least something that's very novel, uh, it's it's gaining a lot of traction already. It's growing at about 100 to 150 percent year over year. Wow. So clearly, it is making an impact, even if it does sound uh, sound rather novel. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm glad you mentioned that because, again, anybody that was listening and saying, gee, I don't think I would do this, uh, that kind of growth rate says there is an audience for it, and it may be something that we obviously have to pay attention to. It, because, as I said at the very beginning of the show, 30 to 40 years from now, these people that are now millennials will be the age of the baby boomers. So all of the same mentality and thinking they have today will be carried forward. And they're, it's, they're going to be changing the investment landscape. It's not the baby boomers. They're pretty much at their peak. Uh, so a uh, very, very important thing to to, um, to factor in. Now, are you able to capture the age of your investors as part of the registration process so you know how many of them are or you later on survey them? How do, how do you get a feel for their age group? Well, uh, that, that's something that we that's something we did initially, and we have since uh, uh, we you know don't ask for for birthdays unless that's necessary to, at some point. Um, 
but we can tell because because we do we do ask in order to uh, in order to get to know the investors we ask them about their backgrounds if they'd like to share it. Gotcha. And so we can tell we can generally uh, you know determine their, their age um, in terms of how far along they might be in their career. Um, but we we don't need any personal financial information. We just need people to answer uh, some questions uh, correctly about their uh, <clears throat> about their their income or net worth, just in order to qualify them as investors. Cool. Let's remind our listeners how they'd contact you, learn more about uh, you, of course, and Pagel, Davis, and Hill, as well as Energy Funders. Want to give us those websites again? Sure. So uh, Pagel, Davis, and Hill is pdhlaw. Dot com, mm-hmm. uh, or you can type Pagel Davis Hill into any uh, any search engine. Energy Funders is energyfunders.com, or type Energy Funders, just one word, in any search engine, and will be the first result. Sure. And uh, on the Energy Funders should be no mistake, but on the uh, Pagel, it is P-A-G-E-L, and then Davis and Hill are pretty obvious, so just to make sure. But the PD, PDH law is probably pretty easy to remember as well. Now, we've covered a lot of aspects of millennials' investing habits today, a little bit about the business you're, you're now uh, running as well. Uh, are there some key ones you'd like to add or emphasize that uh, maybe we missed or things that uh, may not have been emphasized as much, especially with our technology problems there in the, uh, in the, in the middle of the show? Well, you know, I think I'd just emphasize that, that we, can, we can see where things are going. We can see how things are changing. Uh, you, made, you made an excellent point that millennials will continue to get older and advance through all the same life stages, and so they will be driving uh, change in, in the investment landscape. They are a lot more comfortable with technology, so technology platforms that allow uh, direct investment are going to become more and more prominent and accepted. And I think we're going we're, we're going to see that these technology platforms may not they, they're, they're not going to replace advisors. Um, but they're going to become new tools to allow people to self-direct to their own investments or for their advisors to to use better tools to invest for the millennial customers. So, um, you know, we're we're seeing a, a massive uh, a change in terms of uh, how people invest, and we're seeing them become more comfortable with making their own decisions through it by investing through a technology platform. Very good. I appreciate that. Now, I apologize, obviously, for the technology problems, which I didn't have much control over, or they wouldn't have happened. Um, also, I'd like to thank uh, Casey, who was willing to, uh, your colleague, who was willing to step in if you weren't able to make it back from court. And uh, appreciate your uh, rushing. Hopefully, you didn't get a traffic ticket <laughs> trying to get back after the, uh, the, the, the the court session. And one of the things I'd like to do is at least leave the door open. Hopefully, you'd be willing to do a future session where we talk a little bit about some of the results of how your investors are doing, uh, the types of oil projects, and a little bit more detail on that oil and gas side. And I think it's probably good to wait maybe a year or so once uh, people get used to these very low energy prices and uh, that sorts out, because otherwise I think a lot of our investors are just getting burned very badly on any of their oil patch investments. That includes me, because of the low prices. So uh, with that, I, I think it would be great to, to, to contrast, especially with some of the things you said. You actually can make money on some of these projects even at low prices. That, that's right. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Um, we're building a track record. Uh, we, we, uh, a lot of our investors see this time as, as a historic uh, uh, time of low oil prices and a great opportunity to invest. And all the experts that, I, that I've talked to have the same consensus. They say this two-year period, starting about now, 
especially starting this January, the next two years you're not going to see anything like that for a very long time. Uh, and that will be the best time to, uh, you know, starting now, you know, the best time to buy into oil and gas projects because you are getting uh, the net historic lows. Agreed. No, and we are living in interesting times. There's no doubt about it. Really appreciate it, Philip, and look forward to having you back on again. Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right. Now, if you're one of the listeners who thinks I'm well-versed in all of these topics we discuss, you may have to brace yourself for a shock. See, for most of these topics, I know enough to discuss the topic and ask some good questions, but I also do quite a bit of research prior to each show. That way, I can be pretty sure my questions will cover most of the interesting and important things our listeners want to need and know, want to uh, and need to know. Let's try that again. The, the, the voice is definitely hurting the brain here. One of the indicators I use the number of questions we get during each show, and if I didn't ask the right questions, our listeners would have to ask them. You'll notice we actually get very few questions during the show since we generally cover the key aspects. And many of our listeners have shared with me that most of their questions get answered as we get through the interview, so they wait to see how it evolves. Today's show is a good example. I had some background in each of the generations, but certainly didn't know enough detail. I had a vague idea of some of the characteristics of each generation, but I wanted to make sure I knew the birth years and some of the commonly mentioned characteristics in advance. If you'd like to learn more about the characteristics of each generation, it really is pretty fascinating. Let me share an article I found very helpful. Now, it doesn't cover the investing side. It's really more the the characteristics and the uh, history behind each of those generations. It's written by Dr. Jill Novak, N-O-V-A-K, and uh, she teaches at both the University of Phoenix and Texas A&M University. You can find the article on www.marketingteacher.com. Look for the six generations living in America. Now, if you have any problem finding that, uh, I can send you that link. Just send me an email. During the show, I asked about whether millennials are bigger risk-takers than prior generations. I thought about this a little bit more as we talked and remembered something that Ray Lucia told me. It paralleled something a college professor told me many, many years earlier about most people. From the time they're young, as they accumulate wealth, and later as they get ready to retire, so think the generations we're talking about now, the millennials, the Xs, and the Um, baby boomers in that order, when they're young and have few assets and therefore little to lose, they tend to be liberals and risk takers. In Ray's example, Ray Lucia's example, if they have $10,000 investment Hello, uh, and hopefully you can hear me again. It looks like the technology problem is at my end. It appears to be our uh, server is cutting out. There is some uh, technology, I won't mention our technology provider. But uh, as I was saying, there is a a great article about that. And then I mentioned the example that Ray was bringing up on millennials and young investors in general. Uh, If they lost $2,500, 25% of the $10,000, they'd have enough time to earn it back. And for that matter, they can earn it back through salary or bonuses through the years. But when they have a family and think Generation X here, own a home, and maybe have accumulated a million dollars of assets, they certainly don't want to risk uh, losing $250,000 when the market goes down 25%. In other words, they become more conservative, and it turns out financially and politically. With 
those same people accumulate 10 million and are nearing retirement, as you will hopefully, uh, they certainly invest more conservatively and avoid losing 2.5 million if the stock market declines 25% and potentially ruining the very comfortable retirement they worked toward. And again, now we're talking about the baby boomers and the successful baby boomers. So millennials will tend to be bigger risk takers than someone 20 or 40 years older than them. Some of it might be generational, which we talked about today. and Some of it can just be that age and what they have to lose. Heck, losing $2,500 most people can tolerate, even if they have a small nest egg, losing $2.5 million hurts. I certainly hope the quote from Angela Ahrens that I shared at the beginning of the show helped set the stage for today's topic. I grew up in a physical world, and I speak English. The next generation is growing up in a digital world, and they speak social. I guess she's saying some generations were defined by World War One, or uh, as we call it, WW1 or WW2, as the millennials and Gen Z are now being defined by WWW, commonly referred to as the World Wide Web. Okay, my producer is suggesting I give up comedy and stick with my day job. The parallels were just too uh, hard to resist. So anyway, regular listeners note our objective on the Wealth DNA Radio Show is to share the fundamentals investing, provide some great ideas for building and protecting wealth, and we occasionally share some insights, as we did today, into the changing demographics that will influence the financial markets for years to come. Crowdfunding is arriving and could be a major factor in the future. Our mission is to help you and a million people become millionaires. If you missed part of today's show, if you want to recommend it to some friends, and I'm sure you will, especially millennials and financial advisors, the link in the announcement will take you to the archive version. And, of course, you'll also find the full list of past shows there. The archive is on www wealthdna.us. I'd like to thank our sponsor today, BI Solutions Corp., a residential real estate fund in the Phoenix-Scottsdale area, for helping us put together this show. They also help many people invest in residential real estate. Happy investing and getting to know millennials better. You've been listening to Wealth DNA with Ron Naraki on Arizona Boomer Radio. Arizona Boomer Radio is produced by the Boomer and the Babe Incorporated and can be heard Monday through Friday. You can sign up for their online magazine at boomerandthebabe.com. To reach the Boomer and the Babe, email host at boomerandthebabe.com or friend them on facebook.com slash boomerandbabe. And on Blog Talk, you can friend them at blogtalkradio.com slash boomerandbabe. Follow their tweets at twitter.com slash boomerandbabe. Be sure to make the second half of your life the best half of your life. And remember, at 50, you're just getting started.